Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. We are going to talk about the events that took place a year ago. I think a crucial time in our country's history was the time period between the election and the events that took place in the early morning on January 7th. Notice I didn't say the 6th, January 7th, when I believe the real, if you want to call it an insurrection, the real overturning happened. When an election was certified. And whether or not you believe that there were, was funny business going on, you should be concerned about some of the things that took place. And it's, we're getting used to it. It's easy to, when you have so much information coming at you, it's easy to forget. But there was a huge purge. And this had not happened on social media to the extent that it did. But there was a huge purge last January. And the sitting president was taken off Twitter. Uh, we had, leading up to that, a number of people who questioned the narrative concerning uh, the, how, uh, the, the uh, disease, we'll put it that way, uh, or the uh, election, or some of the elements behind the BLM uh, riots, uh, etc., and uh, even what took place on the 6th. And I know I'm not exempt from the treatment that others have undergone. And so I've experienced some of it myself on Twitter. Uh, that's why I'm not on Twitter anymore. And I've also experienced it on Facebook. I want you to know that this video may not remain indefinitely. And there is a link in the info section if you would like to save this or have a link where hopefully it's safe and will remain. There's also some other links in the info section uh, that you can go if you want to get more information about this particular topic and you want to do your own research. I think this is important, what I'm going to go over for a few reasons. What happened a year ago changed my life in some ways. I had already been a part of a number of political uh, incidences that I was close enough to see the media was lying. Uh, it already happened on at least two occasions that stick out in my mind. And this was the third occasion. I remember being at a rally for election integrity, which is the reason that I was there. And I had been at a number of these uh, before the 6th. This one was different. And there were a number of things that made this one different. And I'm going to go through a few of those in a moment. If you had to, there were a number of things that stuck out about that day. But if you had to reduce it all, everything that really shook me that day, um, the moment that stands out the most was when I was passing the Department of Justice. DOJ, on my way to the Capitol after hearing the entirety of President Trump's speech and looking up at a window and seeing an agent who works based, doesn't have a job except for the fact that we pay taxes and we pay his salary, 
flipping off the crowd. A crowd that was not, at the time, uh, we were, they were upset, but they were not uh, aggressive, I wouldn't say. And I saw that, and I saw a crowd get aggressive, and I saw laughter and mocking, cell phones coming out, taking pictures from the fourth, uh, third, fourth, fifth stories of the DOJ building, staff workers doing this. And I don't know of any picture of someone flipping off the crowd, but I saw it. And as soon as I whipped out my camera, our eyes met and I, I didn't see it again. They could tell they were being watched. There was an in, in very purposeful provocation going on. And that was the first sense, I, and there were probably other things I should have noticed, but that was when I realized something isn't right. And then other things during the day uh, made me realize more and more something's not right about all this. Something's different. I remember when I was on my way back um, home, I started receiving text messages from people. Are you okay? I thought, yeah, of course I'm okay. Uh, in fact, I even received a phone call before I made it to the area surrounding the Capitol. And I didn't know what was going on. And people uh, who were not there, present knew more about what was going on than the people who were present. They were seeing shots from inside the Capitol that we were not seeing. We didn't even know people were inside the Capitol. And I came home and I looked at the news and I remember looking at the way that this narrative was being spun and the disheartening thing and the thing... It, I thought about showing this, but I, I'm just not, I'm not, I don't have the stomach for it right now. But the thing that was the most disheartening, I think, was seeing the conservative voices, conservatives within evangelicalism, even people who call themselves that, immediately knee jerking as quick as they possibly could to denounce the entirety of what took place on the 6th to denounce myself, other people I was with, the vast majority of a crowd of about a million people who didn't even step foot on the Capitol grounds, let alone go inside the Capitol, who were simply there to protest election against what they considered to be a I'm trying to think what word to use. <laughs> I'm probably not going to escape the algorithms anyway. A compromised election. And they, they are guilty of believing the media spin on this. I knew it was false because I was there. I could see the entirety of the picture, and I knew a very small sliver was not just being presented, but being mischaracterized. And so on that note, I want to say this before I get to the meat of this particular podcast. You can go back. You can watch the things I've said before. You can see the video montage uh, on Gab is probably the best place to watch it at this point of um, video that was being purged during the time. You couldn't. It was being erased from Twitter, which is the main place that most of that was, and YouTube. You can go watch in the days following 
some of the clips that I found that I was able to find before they were purged and shadow banned, and I stitched together a sequence of events from that day, along with the and, and I will I will put it in the info section the, the link, uh, but it it tells a bit of a different story, it gives a fuller picture. So I want to let you know that that is available, and I, I don't want to reinvent the wheel, so I'm not going to talk about all of that. I also want to say this. I'm not in any way excusing uh, people who were there uh, in with the right motive, let's say, to uh, protest for election integrity, uh, to support the president, and, and, uh, and they ended up doing wrong things. They ended up... Uh, uh, breaking a window or going in b being uh, disrespectful to putting their feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk, these kinds of things. Although now I found out that that particular shot was media coordinated. There was a cameraman in the room basically telling that individual to do that. But just because the media is instigating, provoking, uh, and maybe the government, I shouldn't say maybe, the government did provoke and instigate some of this. It does not excuse uh, people who are Trump supporters, people who <clears throat> even were there for the right reason. It doesn't excuse them for some of the things they did knowingly that were wrong. And so this is not about that. This is not about saying that everyone in that entire crowd is as pure as the driven stow and did nothing wrong. I'm sure there were people who did. One of the big problems, though, is we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know which people were federal agents and which people were for working for other organizations, Antifa prov provo uh, uh, provocateurs like John Sullivan, we know him, uh, and Trump supporters, um, especially those who made it inside the Capitol, those who breached gates. These, these are the things that things are, and I'm going to show you today, this is where things become less clear. Although there is one thing that becomes more clear. What becomes less clear is how many were Trump supporters. What becomes more clear is how many appear to be working for another side, for the federal government. And it is becoming more in focus every day. And, and why do I say that? Uh, because the accusation often made is, if someone even suggests such a thing, is there uh, a conspiracy theorist or something like that? And there's really two things that I try to, well, there's three things that I, I want to, points I want to make before I get into the meat of all of this. One is this, human nature. I start off with a biblical understanding of what humans, who humans are, what they do. Jesus said that he knew what was in the heart of man. He didn't need anyone to tell him about it. He knew. And it was corruption came from within man. People are susceptible to corruption. Uh, people, uh, especially there's something called the mob mentality. People, no matter who they are, are capable of being whipped up into a frenzy. And you get a crowd of a million people. I don't care if it's to support teddy bears. You're going to have some real bad apples in that crowd if there's a million people who are totally ready to be taken advantage of by uh, those who would be whipping up a mob and using crowd control techniques. So human nature is the first thing I look at. Uh, and that guides 
that that under that's an under uh, current that goes through all my analysis. The other thing is I look at the primary sources. It's very important to me. Video, testimony. I, I, I'm not starting out with secondary sources. Now, sometimes some of the sources I'm going to show you today, if you look in the info section, these are uh, documentaries and one great article that pieces together some great primary sources. But you, you have to keep in mind when you're even looking at those things, there's a power of suggestion that's going on in the way things are framed. Media does this all the time. Focus on the primary sources. Try to try try to even uh, make sure if there's a link there, click on the link. Just do a few of them and just make sure. Okay, they're not just lying to me. This is actually something that took place. And try to. Here's the other thing I would say. Try to make sense of the whole. In other words, get all the information you possibly can, and then create a paradigm that makes sense of everything. Don't start with a preconceived notion. And then, that's in biblical interpretation, we call this eisegesis. Don't start with a preconceived idea and then try to make sense of everything. Uh, the only preconceived ideas, I'd say, we have to have some. You can't be a blank slate completely. So I have a preconceived idea that humans behave a certain way, that there's a human nature. Humans are capable of corruption, this kind of thing. But what I'm saying is don't start out with a, an idea of a conclusion before you've actually done your research, okay? Don't... Um, we, we want to make sure that there aren't facts outside of the paradigm that contradict it. This is what the left does all the time. They try to focus in on something they can use to further their narrative. And they, they leave out the things that are inconvenient for their narrative. And so we, don't, we want to make sense of everything, every fact, okay? So those are the three things. Now, um, also... When you have a suspicion, but you don't know for certain, uh, then I think it's fair to say there's a strong suspicion here, which is worthy of more in, uh, investigation. And that's where I am with some of the things I'm going to show you today. It's more than a strong suspicion. Um, it definitely needs to be investigated. So with all that being said, let's get into the topic here. How did it happen? I'm going to go through a Revolver news story. That's most of this podcast, and I'll put the link in the info section. The thesis of the story is that it was the 12.50 p.m. breach of the Capitol grounds in conjunction with a handful of suspicious individuals ripping down fencing and signage that set in motion the conditions allowing for the 6th to turn from a rally into a riot. That's the thesis. I think this thesis is supported. I want to give some, just, in fact, there's more coming to my mind now, but let me give you some I wrote down, and if I have more that I remember after I read this, I'll, I'll tell you some more. Here are some questions that I had. Some of them uh, in the days following, some of them since then, but these are just questions that, that still raise suspicion in my mind about the events of that day and the official media narrative. I told you about one of them, provocation at the DOJ. I haven't seen anyone report on this. As we are passing the DOJ to go to the Capitol where Donald Trump is said to go, that's where we're going to go, there's provocation going on. There's an attempt to stir up the crowd into anger. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund at the time denied was denied urgent uh, an urgent request. He made multiple urgent requests for backup personnel. And 
to declare the area a state of emergency. Why was he denied that? This was not my firsthand observation, but I talked to a gentleman who has, um, we'll just say, intel an intelligence background in the weeks following the 6th. He reported, at the, this is on the day of the 6th, he reported finding weapons under a park bench. Now, how, I don't know if any of you have heard of this. I have not heard this anywhere. And I cannot give disclose who it was. I don't even actually remember the name of the person, to be honest with you. This was, uh, I could find it probably, but this was over, this was almost a year ago. But it was, um, it, it was someone who was a listener to the program connected me with someone who was there who had some very interesting observations, and that was one of them. He had some other ones as well uh, that they're, it's, they're just so subjective, and he doesn't have pictures or something he could send me, but they were just very interesting. But that was one of the things he said. Now, you don't have to believe that. That's fine. You know, I don't have the source. I'm, I'm giving this to you secondhand. But it, 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 so it goes along with everything else. <laughs> That's the thing. It goes along with everything else I saw. Why, why would they quarter off all the bathrooms, all the porta-potties? Everything had to be shut down because of COVID. You have a million people and nowhere to go to the bathroom. And police crawling the area around where the speech is, and somehow there were weapons under a park bench. Something's wrong with this picture. Uh, nowhere to go to the bathroom was also another one. Why were there, and, and I've heard no one report on this, there were porta johns. Uh, on the Capitol grounds for the construction workers lined up there. And I'll tell you what, as soon as people broke, broke in or didn't even break in, they just walked in to the Capitol grounds, there was a long line of people you could see from a distance standing in line to go to the restroom. Uh, there were little things like that that just made you wonder, you know, are you ready for a million people to show up on your, in your city? Or are you trying to make it as inconvenient for them as you possibly can to stir them to anger? Why were there no canine units? Now, maybe there were, and I'm just not aware. Uh, apparently, it is normal procedure to have canine units at the Capitol. I didn't see any. Vehicle barriers were down. I've never heard anyone talk about this either, but I saw it with my own eyes, and it shocked me. The day you know a million people are showing up, all the vehicle barriers are down for government parking at the Capitol so that you have all these MAGA trucks and things parked in there? Why? Why would you do that? Um, why was there ignored intelligence? There's multiple people now who have said that they have reported uh, they, ahead of time the possibility of a breach uh, and completely ignored. How about slow response by the riot police? I remember pulling out, this probably about 4.30 p.m. By the time, it, it took me a while to get from the uh, capital area to the subway to my car and um, on the road. It took a long time. But as I'm pulling away, I'm seeing riot police. Hours late. Hours late. How come there were police welcoming protesters inside? And there's video of it. And in fact, the rumor going around the crowd when I approached the capital area because I asked someone in the crowd, you know, are people supposed to be in there? And she said, oh, of course. There were some ladies, older ladies, who needed to go to the bathroom. They asked the police, and the police just let them in to go to the bathroom. So it's okay for us to be here.
Hmm. How about um, the deploying of flashbangs and tear gas on peaceful protesters? I saw this firsthand as well. Yeah, there were some provocateurs in the front. Not many. There's a few. Guess where the flashbangs and the tear gas went? In the most poorly deployed tear gas ever. It went on peaceful people who weren't being provocative. And you know what it did to them? It made them angry. Stirred up a hornet's nest. Now, some of this could be incompetence, but not all of it. Not all of this. Now remember, human nature. Not all of this seems to be incompetence. With the security that took place at, during the time of the inauguration, with the security that's just a general precaution that takes place in these important government buildings, why not that day? Well, there's a lot more that I saw that I could talk about, but let me get you to some facts that really do matter. Ray Epps. I'm going to start here. Ray Epps um, made the was a top suspect on the most wanted list for the FBI. Multiple calls for public help to identify him. There was a cash reward offered for in information leading to his arrest. And public and local newspapers ID'd him that he lived in Phoenix, Arizona. Here's a man who came from Phoenix, Arizona to attend the rally. Now, before I tell you what's taken place since that time, just know that there's a lot of people on this list who are still out there and wanted and these kinds of things. And the FBI wants information on them. Now, there's been a few, there, there's some good documentaries out there that I would suggest. Uh, one is called Capital Punishment, and one is called Patriot Purge. And both of them survey people like Epps who are on this wanted list and who have actually received visits from the FBI and who have uh, been convicted and going to prison. Let me give you a few examples. Mark Abraham, um, 15 years, sentenced to 15 years in federal prison. He's a former intelligence person who was encouraged to go in by another intelligence person. Uh, Paul and Marilyn Huber live in Homer, Alaska and had a pre-dawn raid at their home. Emily Grace Rainey, a former PSYOPs officer, lost her security clearance, kicked out of the National Guard simply for attending the Stop the Steal rally. She was, it was said of her that she had 100 militia with military equipment, and that was a lie. She had basically 100 gram, 50 grandmas, I think it was. Richard David Barnett, a um, uh, sentenced to 11 years in prison for terrorism. Uh, there have been reports of people tortured, black mold, beatings, uh, threats to harm one's wife, uh, racist, if you want to call it that, I mean, the left does, but insulting, um, I don't know what to call it other than language that takes one's ethnicity and uses it in a as a pejorative, calling people things like crackers. And this is taking place in what some are calling the D.C. Gulag now. 
I don't even know how many people. <laughs> I don't, but regular ordinary Americans are having this happen for very minimal things. And they, many of them, on this list. Ray Epps was on this list, but something happened with Ray Epps. Suddenly, the FBI deleted Epps from the database after press exposure. No arrest and no explanation given. U.S. Attorney General refused to answer questions about him, and the FBI agents in Phoenix, Arizona, deny all knowledge Epps even exists. Does that seem a little curious? Let me read for you from this Revolver article. Ray Epps has turned out to be perhaps the only person nailed dead to rights confessing on camera to plotting a pre-planned attack on the Capitol on both January 5th and January 6th. Epps announced multiple times at multiple locations his upcoming plot to breach the U.S. Capitol. He then spent hours attempting to recruit hundreds of others to join him. On top of it all, Epps was seen leading key people and managing key aspects of the initial breach of the Capitol grounds himself. Here's some video of it. Here's Epps the day before. And he is telling everyone, in fact, people are complaining in the video, why do you keep buttoning into our business? And he's telling people we need to go into the Capitol. And one person, basically, people start chanting that he's a federal agent. One person says, you're crazy, stop, you're making us look bad, that's not what we're here for. And Epps has a smirk on his face and basically tells him, yeah, we're going in. Here's the morning of 10.24 a.m. by the Washington Monument. Epps is shouting at people. He is trying to persuade them to go to the Capitol. And he's pointing in the direction of the Capitol. Then came the breach. And this, perhaps, is the most important aspect of what happened on January 6th and as it pertains to the media narrative, this is the most important thing, and it's what the media has left out. Epps actively orchestrated elements of the very first breach of the Capitol barricades at 12.50 p.m. while Trump still had 20 minutes left in his rally speech. And the sequence is very important here as I go through it. It is noteworthy that this Ray Epps breach occurs just one minute after Capitol Police began responding to reports of two pipe bombs located at DNC and GOP headquarters, respectively. Rather conveniently, the already handicapped Capitol Police thus had still fewer resources with which to respond to the barricade breach in question. The Ray Epps breach team had the amazing foresight to pry open the one walkway entrance that no one could avoid. So, if you're watching, you can see a map. From the rally to the Capitol, this would have been the logical route, the most direct route. Epps showed up at the very place the crowd would be going to. And here you can see uh, some screenshots, and there's videos accompanying this of him uh, being part of orchestrating, it appears, uh, the breach that took place at 12.50 p.m. Now, this is a breach that is blamed on the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys showed up at the Peace Monument, which is right by this entrance, at about 12.45. But they were not um, there when Epps was there. Epps was there first, along with a number of other characters I'm going to introduce you to. And Epps is seen here being one of the big provocateurs who coordinated or helped coordinate this particular breach. He was very much a part of it, and he had foreknowledge of it, and he encouraged people to go into the Capitol before the 6th. 
Now, once he got in, Ray Epps is coordinating things by the media tower. There's a media tower uh, in in the back of the Capitol, in front of the back of the Capitol. There's a, this tower, and there's some people that are... There's a guy actually with a bullhorn I'm going to introduce you to who uh, ended up coordinating a lot. But Ray Epps is right by him also coordinating. He's talking to people. He's uh, try, giving directions. He's... Um, in fact, there's, uh, we'll get to it, but there's places in which he is negotiating with police as well. Now, there's another character, we'll come back to Ray Epps, there's another character you need to be introduced to named Fence Cutter Bulwark, because they don't know his name, but some internet researchers, and it's a shame it's internet researchers, this should be part of a congressional investigation. And the fact that there's not calls for this tells us where we're at. Honestly, conservatives should be the aggressive ones. They should be the ones that are uh, taking the field on this and controlling the narrative. And the fact that they feel like they have to be on defense about what happened on January 6th is absolutely atrocious in my mind. It it shows how weak some of our leadership is. Um, We should be on offense. If what I'm about to show you If there's any truth to it whatsoever, there needs to be questions asked. To what extent was the FBI and perhaps other departments involved in what happened? So here's Fence Cutter Bulwark. Fence Cutter Bulwark is there long before the Proud Boys arrived at, by the way, same area where Ray Epps is. Very close. And um, you can see in this one photo, there's Ray Epps in the crowd. There's the officers, and he's standing there in the front. You can see fence cutter bulwark just sitting there, uh, and this is I, I, this is actually long before uh, Proud Boys showed up. But he's just sitting there looking at the fence, the very area when the breach takes place. He is going to to dismantle. There's another guy I want to introduce you to. This is the B Civil guy, and before he, he's another person that showed up around the same spot before the 1250 breach. He already jumped the fence, basically, and he is on the Capitol grounds. No one else is. He knows he's going around an area that says it's closed. He went on it, and there he is talking with law enforcement fearlessly. And people in the video are saying he's going to get shot, he's being foolish, and yet he doesn't seem to have any fear. Interesting. The be civil guy. Now, you're going to notice something, too. There's... There's a few guys, one, the two significant guys are the B-Civil guy and the Northwest Scaffold Commander. And these two guys have, uh, and another guy named Tower Cam, Camo Cons, Coms, they have the same bullhorn, it looks like. <laughs> same colored bullhorn, probably the same brand and everything. And it gives them power over the crowd. They can direct things. So you'll, I'm going to show you the Northwest Scaffold Commander in a moment. But B-Civil guy has one of these. And he is shouting to the crowd to be civil. Um, but how, I mean, how civil can the be civil guy be when he's one of the, he's the first guy before even the breach, about 30 seconds before the breach. He's out there and some have speculated maybe he's telling the Capitol Police we're going to breach. We don't know what he said, but think about human nature. Humans are, would naturally be afraid uh, of doing something like this, especially alone. Why is he confident approaching the police right when this thing's about to go down? What does he know 
that others do not know against all wisdom. Uh, so anyway, he's there early. And, and none of these people are listening to Trump's speech. Trump's still speaking when all this takes place. And it's about, what, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, probably two hours if you went with a crowd because of how big a crowd is. I mean, you're an hour away from where the speech is and you're able, you're, you're, I mean, you, you didn't hear any of the speech if you're here. So they had a different purpose in mind. They weren't there to hear Trump, these guys that I'm showing you. Now, remember that FBI most wanted list we talked about? Well, fence cutter bulwark is not on that list either. So Ray Epps isn't on it. Fence cutter bulwark is not on it. You know who else isn't on it is a, a Northwest Scaffold Commander. These are all people that aren't on it. And I'll introduce you to him in a minute. Now, fence cutter bulwark um, is videotaped methodically removing fencing and fence posts to allow mob to enter Capitol grounds. He wears a bulwark fire retardant jacket. That's where he gets the nickname. Um, and here's an eyewitness account. I first saw him doing it near the two porta potties to the right of the Capitol. And I remember what I told you about that day. There was nowhere to go to the bathroom. In this clip, you'll see him by the platforms near the front, tearing down the fences and posts as the South Korean and Japanese parade forged its way towards the front. And if you watch the video, it's very interesting. It's very, it looks like he's just doing a job, just rolling up the fence, very organized, um, making it look like the area is not closed. There never was a barricade there. So the people coming behind have no clue that they're not supposed to be there. They're walking in to what amounts to be a trap, but they don't even know it. So fence cutter bulwark. And there's also some likely companions of his. How, now, now look, I don't know. But people who have analyzed this more seem to think there's a whole lot more uh, than just the people that we're going to be focusing on in this video. Next one is Northwest Scaffold Commander, early and ongoing inciter and director of the mob. He taunts police from outside of the wall early on, climbs up the scaffold at approximately 1 p.m., closely directs and incites the crowd with bullhorn on top of the scaffold for at least 18 minutes. Um, and, and so he's missing also from the FBI most wanted list. Isn't that interesting? Some of these guys are key players. Why are they missing from the list? Why? How come they're you know, going all the way to Homer, Alaska for just regular, ordinary Americans, but they're, this guy doesn't make the list? Why? He, and if you watch the videos, he is instigating. He is in the most influential position you can possibly be in for that day. He has a bullhorn. He is at the top of the media tower. He is the most visible, he is the most audible, and he is telling everyone to move forward, to go into the Capitol. There he is uh, early on, uh, taking fence down, right as the breach is taking place, like the others. Um, here's some more pictures of him, so you can see where the media tower is to see just how influential he would have been. In fact, here's a man named Hager who is accused of scaling the wall and carrying a Texas flag on the grounds of January 6. Hager said he felt invincible and was following instruction of a person with a bullhorn yelling, Patriots, move forward. Yeah, that was the bullhorn guy. And in fact, I remember, he, you could hear this guy from outside the Capitol grounds. I remember hearing this guy that day. He's the most strategic position to give orders with a bullhorn. He said, move forward, we need help, and we got to fill up the Capitol for 90 minutes. 
It's the damsel in distress thing. It's provoking people and telling them they, it depends on them. They got to get inside. Here's another guy. This is the guy's name is Black Ski Mask. Another guy just taking down the barriers. And guess what he's also doing? Not just taking down the barriers, he's hiding them. Taking down the barriers and putting them behind a wall here so no one can see that there were even barriers there. So when unsuspecting Trump supporters who are just there to protest for election integrity show up, they don't even know that there was a barrier there in the first place. Now, things with Black Ski Mask Guy are really interesting to me. Um, Ryan Samsel is one of the guys that is blamed uh, for inciting the first breach. But here, here's Black Ski Mask Guy ahead of him. And the FBI knows exactly who Black Ski Mask is already. And for some reason, they're still not prosecuting him. How do they know who he is? Well, the feds don't just have an ID on Black Ski Mask Guy. They have an entire police report and a shocking one at that. Just one day before January 6th, a black ski mask was yanked out of a bus by dozens of police officers who suspected his vehicle was packed with guns and bombs. His bus was stopped just in front of the U.S. Justice Department. There's a picture of it, and in the video uh, that this screenshot was taken from is him on camera saying that they're testing their DNA, that uh, there were some weapons found, and they're seeing if it belongs to them. This is interesting because how many of you have heard about this? A suspected bomb uh, right in front of the DOJ uh, and it, or the U.S. Justice Department building and guns apparently found uh, or I don't know if they were suspected of being found. I, th I think they were, um, but you don't hear a thing about it. Not one thing in the media. And, and even despite this, they don't ramp up security anywhere. We gotta start using our head here. The police knew about it. They were swarming all over this for hours. And yet, this guy is somehow free to be part of taking down fencing, the first initial breach. He's, he's there, right right there. Um, what's, what's wrong with this picture? Um, and then there's B Civil Guy. Uh, be civil guy I introduced you before remember he was on the uh, before the initial breach he was on the Capitol grounds look preparing to negotiate with police and then he kept shouting be civil now why he was doing this um, it I mean I you can only speculate but it could be I mean he's certainly not about just all about civility it looks like he's the first one on the field but he um, it, it, it certainly uh, maybe takes away suspicion or shows that he tries to separate him from being a provocateur if he does that. I'm not sure. Um, or there was a plan. He, you know, If he was a federal agent, let's just assume. We don't know for sure. It looks pretty bad. But let's just say he's not. Uh, or he is. I'm sorry. Uh, he, it may be that his orders were to basically, hey, keep this thing civil. We don't want damage. Uh, we want people to go in in an orderly manner. So we have the be civil guy here. Now this is interesting to me. He is stopping someone from, uh, there's, there's a video of this. He is helping to stop someone from damaging a window where people could get into the Capitol. And he tells him, we're getting in, we're getting in, and directs him to go around where there's already a place they can get in that doesn't require them to break windows. Now he pats the guy down. He's 
acts like he has law enforcement experience or something. He, he knows what he's doing when it comes to crowd control. That's what's very interesting about this whole thing. And he's very confident. The whole, everything this guy does is extremely confident from going out alone onto the field, talking to the officers before the 30 seconds before the breach, which is, like I said, during the time when there's less police there because there, there's uh, bombs supposedly at the DNC and the RNC headquarters. Everything, everything is working like a hand in glove. The Proud Boys show up at, right before the breach. You have um, the, uh, the entrance they chose is the very entrance. The unsuspecting Trump supporters are going to come behind and they're not going to see the barricades that used to be there. I mean, everything is hand in glove. And this guy uh, seems to, to know that there's something else going on. He seems to know there's a plan. But part of his modus operandi is to get people not to do damage, but to go in the proper way, which the proper way, I guess, is where the Capitol Police were welcoming everyone in um, and through the doors. Now, uh, the interesting thing is here, Ray Epps does the same thing. Ray Epps says, guys, listen up up to the steps and stay there. We're going to stay there for a while after he negotiates with police on the steps. You see in this first picture, top left, there he is out in front negotiating with police. Bottom left, he then stands on the level of the police and he gives instruction. Everyone's looking at him and he's directing the crowd. Then here's another place where he, there's a guy getting mad at the police and he's like, hey, calm down. We already made our point. Now, why would this guy who says we're going to go into the Capitol the day before, we're going to go into the Capitol, literally says that, why is he saying, they're not in the Capitol yet, but he's saying, hey, calm down, we made our point, guys, we're going to stay here for a while. It's very similar to what the Be Civil guy here is doing. You know, first guy out on the field, he's storming the Capitol grounds, right? Uh, but yet, don't, don't do that, don't, don't break that, and very adamant about it. And here's something else that's interesting. The guy who was breaking that window is Carhartt Wasp. Uh, and Carhartt Wasp was stopped by B civil guy at 2:56 p.m. Guess what? He's unindicted. He remains safe in the bosom of the FBI Capitol most wanted list despite a full face docs and thousands of hours of footage the feds could use to track his movements and associates. You'd think he'd be a priority given he's smashing windows with a crowbar and frequently seen speaking into an earpiece. So what's going on here? Who is that guy? Why is he not indicted? Now, there's more questions than I think answers in all this. Revolver's conclusion is this. There is simply no way the FBI did not know the Proud Boys March would end up at the Peace Monument just after 12.45 p.m. That march was led by Proud Boy leaders Joe Biggs. Biggs is an FBI informant, that's confirmed, who said he spoke often with his bureau contacts. Briggs' Proud Boys boss, um, Arik uh, Tarayo, was also an FBI informant and the FBI was reading their cell phone group chat messages ahead of time so this is already all known there's some level of coordination going on here we don't know to what extent we just know something's going on Forbes just came out uh, two months ago almost with a headline FBI and other agencies paid informants 50 548 million in recent years with many committing authorized crimes. Now, I want to take you back to human nature for a moment and experience. We've seen what's happened in Michigan with the Governor Whitmer kidnapping situation, how most of the people involved were 
working for the government, but they weren't aware necessarily. There's only one guy, I think, who had full operational understanding of what was happening. The other guys didn't know. And that's very possible what could be even happening here, where you have people, there's some level of coordination, but they don't know who the other pieces uh, in that coordination are, some of these guys. They, They may not. They don't have to have full operational knowledge to be part of an operation. So Ray Epps may not know who, uh, you know, some of the Northwest scaffold guy is. Uh, There's just, they may know, but they may not. We don't know. And so that's not a requirement that we need uh, for this to to be a a federal operation. The other thing is, um, knowing what we know about people, and how people want to maintain power. They want to increase power. They want to get rid of threats to their power. And you have a guy that's trying to drain the swamp, so to speak. There's been a big target on President Trump. Um, There was throughout his whole entire term. And I don't think it's any uh, stretch to say that people from the deep state and all these agencies would feel threatened by him and his supporters. Um, we know what happened during the Obama years. In fact, let's back up. We know what happened during the Bush years with the war on terror and the advances uh, in the, the way in which the United States intelligence treated terrorism, how they were able to infiltrate, uh, how they were able to uh, manipulate foreign elections, uh, these kinds of things. We know some of this. We know that Obama started turning that uh, those tools on the American people. Let me give you one example, the Tea Party movement uh, and the, the way in which the, 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 the way that the IRS denied 501c3 P, uh, status to taxpayer groups, um, how certain people were audited and targeted because of their political affiliations. And I would wager there's probably much more <laughs> going on there. We know there was... Uh, Donald Trump, I think, called it wiretapping, but there was surveilling going on of Donald Trump before he was even elected. Uh, we know what happened with the whole Russia collusion thing. And, and what that, that gives you a big window into how the deep state operates. But we've really known for a long time that there's been not only corruption, but there's been an attempt to maintain, secure, and expand the influence of federal agencies. Uh, one of the ways in which this is done is through weaponizing them. Uh, the EPA, the Department of um, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, um, there's, there's hardly actually an organization that doesn't have some militarized branch now. Uh, you can go back even to Ruby Ridge and Waco and see what the federal government did back then. There was actually a, a pretty good document, not a documentary, a movie that came out, miniseries about Waco not too long ago just showing kind of, here's what happened. And um, in the name, the reason uh, given, well, in the, it's in the name of trying to justify the existence of their department. And that's the problem with bureaucracy in general. People need to constantly prove that what they're doing is necessary. Southern Poverty Law Center is even like this. And, and you know, you can't tell me they're not in some ways a wing of the government because they've been informing the government about quote-unquote hate groups, 
uh, that need to be somehow um, censored and uh, infiltrated and subverted. And Donald Trump was the one who said, forget the Southern Poverty Law Center. We're not letting them inform us anymore. I'm sure that's changed. But when there weren't enough Klan groups and neo-Nazi groups that were actual, real, legitimate threats, they had to come up with a way to justify their existence. So who are the legitimate threats now? Who are, who are the real legitimate threats out there? Well, it's the Proud Boys. It's, uh, it's, it's the American Family, you know, American uh, Research Council, and, and it's family-friendly groups. It, it's, they, they, they have to start identifying other groups as terrorists or evil or uh, extremists. Or the, I mean, these are the words that they like to use. And that they're the threat. So it justifies their existence. And uh, the groups that they don't like, they're able to punish. The groups that threaten their own power. And human nature would seem to indicate that that is a very reasonable explanation for what happened on January, January 6th. It fits what I saw from the DOJ. It, uh, it fits human nature and it fits the facts that we do know. It fits and, and it would, would fit the suspicions that we do have. And it would call for an investigation to be done. And these are, there's, there's government documents on this. Congress should have oversight over this. They should be able to find, get full investigation and find transcripts and phone calls and all the things necessary to figure out what actually happened that day. Because here's the significant part. If this is as it appears, and this was a breach that was coordinated by the federal government and agencies of the federal government, and then the evidence, you know, uh, put it, you know, barricades and stuff hidden. Um, it appears to look like, you know, the, people are allowed to go into the Capitol and the, and we have the video of all that. Then it is a trap set for unsuspecting protesters for election integrity who had no intention of breaking any laws and they were set up by their own government. And if that's the narrative, it changes everything about January 6th, everything. Again, it doesn't mean that there weren't Trump supporters who did bad things, but it, it, it shows that the worst, the most nefarious, the most premeditated was not a bunch of Trump supporters. In fact, it probably wouldn't have happened if it was just Trump supporters, if that narrative is true. And there's enough reasonable questions even past what I just talked about today, that show there should be an investigation. So this is my suggestion um, <laughs> for anyone who gets in trouble uh, with someone for, you know, oh you, you know, you were at January six, or you, you, you know, if you doubt the legitimacy of some of the cities that were supposedly counting ballots, uh, and you're just lumped in with all these people, I would be specific. The left is very specific, if you notice. They repeat the narrative over and over and over. Um, and they don't, you don't know Ashley Babbitt's name. They don't repeat that narrative, uh, but they'll repeat George Floyd over and over and over. Uh, they'll, they have their list of victims that they want you to know about. And I want you to remember some names. Remember Ray Epps. If you don't remember any other name, remember Ray Epps and ask your liberal friends could you explain to me what you think Ray Epps was doing that day? They probably have no clue who you're talking about. Might make him dig a little bit. Or you can start, well, what about the B-Civil guy? Oh, well, who's the B-Civil guy? Well, you know, he's the guy that, he was the first on the field before there was even a breach. 
looked like he was negotiating with the police. And then later on, uh, he's uh, shown to be uh, stopping a guy from breaking a window and trying to direct the crowd into the Capitol in a different way. What, you know, what do you think he's doing there? Why do you think he was so confident? What, why do you think he, he seemed to know that there was going to be a breach before it even happened? These are the kinds of things that you can ask people. Um, black ski mask guy. Why was he hiding the barricades? How come after his vehicle is um, is pulled over and searched and investigated, and he's investigated, and there's a whole police report on him, how come there wasn't more security at the Capitol building, and how come he was allowed to go on the Capitol grounds? Uh, you can just go all day with this kind of stuff. You know, why is Carhartt Wasp the guy not... Uh, he's we got his face. We got thousands of hours of footage, and yet he's unindicted. Why is that? There's a lot of questions floating around out there, and they we don't have a paradigm that makes sense of them. The best paradigm we have is that there was federal coordination, and not just coordination, but instigation. That's the best paradigm we have. Now I'm open if there's another paradigm that makes sense of a lot of this stuff, but uh, it doesn't appear that there is. So force the other side to come up with a paradigm that makes sense of the facts that they can't make sense of in their own. That's what needs to take place. Now this is, yes, I'm focusing more on politics, but this is important for even just Christians living their ordinary everyday lives. I'm not saying you got to spend a million hours online researching all this stuff. I think if you just remember a few things, remember Ray Epps, that's all you need. Ask people who ask about, you know, talk about this. You can ask them about that. I think the reason it's important is because the church is not exempt from these kinds of things. Christians aren't exempt from these kinds of things. The same treatment that people protesting for election integrity are getting, it's the same treatment that everyone is going to get who's on the wrong side of the political divide, and Christians are automatically there. It is the same treatment that... Um, even I, I suspect in coming years, you're not going to see the same kind of a march for life. It'll either change to be not really the march for life like it has been, or it's going to be viewed as an extremist kind of thing. These kinds of weapons that we're talking about, these, these intelligence weapons, uh, the treatment that people are getting where, where a federal agency can just knock down your door at any time at night, your kids could be sleeping. I mean, this has happened. And they come in just because you happened to be, let's say, at the March for Life or something. I mean, why couldn't it happen for something like that? And then you're sentenced to, to prison. You don't even get a phone call. You're abused while you're there. I mean, some of this stuff is actually happening. And it's, it's difficult for the other side. It's difficult. They want to marginalize the groups they don't like, make them feel weak, make others not defend them. That's exactly what they did on the 6th. You had all the conservative talking heads in... Uh, not just politics, but also in the SBC, you had, I'm, I'm ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of it. And I could give you names and I, I don't want to. I hope that people have learned their lesson, but they need to apologize. The people who knee jerked that day and immediately denounced the whole entire crowd, immediately bought the media narrative on this whole thing, because that same weaponry is going to be used against you. It's more difficult. There's a whole lot of people that respect the Bible, even if they're not Christians. A whole lot of people that think church is a positive thing in this country. That number's, I suspect, dwindling. <laughs> but the number's big. And again, human nature. 
Humans that don't want to be constrained by laws, but want to be their own law. Who are they going to go after next? Who's on their hit list? This is important. I'm telling you, this is important for Christians and for churches. If you're not paying attention to this, if you can't see that these things are connected, that integrity in our election system, integrity in general, isn't connected to the influence of Christianity in this country. I don't know how to help you but they are connected. So that's, uh, I wanted to just give you that. It's very sobering. It's been sobering for me. I've actually been, um, on a personal note here, <laughs> I've been getting over a sickness. I'm, I'm just starting to feel better today. And I've gotten some uh, nice notes from some of you. I appreciate your prayers. My grandfather did die um, last week and we're still kind of um, recovering from that in some ways. There's just been a lot of things going on in my own life, uh, but I am... As I was doing some of the research for this podcast, I, I was thinking of how blessed I am, how how much I don't know, <laughs> and I don't want to know, like all the corruption that goes on behind the scenes. But there are people that are Christians who are living in the belly of the beast. They're working for some of these federal agencies. They know that they're working for corrupt institutions, and they're trying to be salt and light where they are. And I can't imagine what that pressure feels like. And I just want to persuade all of you today. Just pray for them. Pray for the people who have a conscience, and Christians in particular, that work in these dark places, that they would be a light, that they would be as wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and uh, and that God would protect them. Because um, things are, are getting darker, in some ways scarier. Power is being centralized more and more and more. And it's not even, I hate to break it to you, it's not even with Congress. It's not with the president. It's not with the Supreme Court as much as it is the bureaucracy. The people that stay there from administration to administration and they never leave. They keep their job. They hire who they want. People loyal to them. They make probably, they have more influence in some ways than the president does. And so the people who work under them, uh, they could have real targets on their back if they don't go along. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Hey, God bless, <laughs> despite how I know challenging this message is in a way, this realization, just know that God is in control. And whatever happens, we need, we need to be inspired by stories of, from the Bible of Christians. Paul went to jail, okay? P Peter, we, we can talk about Bible characters. We can also talk about uh, characters from church history. And it's an honor to be persecuted. It's, it's for the name of Jesus, especially. And they, and they may not say that. They may not tell you it's for Jesus. Maybe for upholding his law. That's what I was doing in D.C. He hates, God hates unequal scales and measures. Uh, lying is evil. And, and that's what I'm there to support, the truth. Maybe because you love Jesus so much, you want to keep his commandments. You want to support his law. And it's for him that you suffer. Uh, so uphold his law. Keep standing and rely on him to protect you. Um, he's protected me, and he will protect you. And um, and even if you do land in a place that's depressing, that's in prison eventually, uh, count the cost. Is it better to please God or please men? It's better to please God. And I think we need to get in that mentality as soon as we possibly can. We need to get used to it. That 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 possibility doesn't mean dreading. It just means being wise and being ready for enjoying every minute we have, and, and, and most of all, not throwing other brothers and sisters under the bus, not thinking that we can buy ourselves time and comfort and pleasure or whatever position 
if we simply separate ourselves from the real extremists who the media says are extremists. That's a, I'm telling you, I, I, that's a, the play being made in supposedly conservative Christianity right now. I'm telling you it is. And it's, it's the worst play imaginable. And we have to be more aggressive. We have to be more direct. Um, be inspired by even stories of, uh, go, go back and look at even what happened in Germany in the 1930s. Be inspired by the stories of people who stood at that time and, and realize where this train goes. Realize the little compromises lead to bigger compromises. you got to make a line right now and be that kind of person that you can go to bed with and sleep with at night. All right, God bless. <laughs> More coming uh, later this week. Probably not quite as heavy because uh, we can't handle this all the time, but we need a dose of the truth sometimes. So I hope that was helpful. Bye now. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details